You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group, Lavazza, and American National Insurance. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Riazul Tequila, referred to as one of the best sipping tequilas on the market. It comes from the highlands of Jalisco, 7,200 feet above sea level. Riazul's agave has a higher sugar content, lending itself to a sweeter taste profile. If you are looking for a true sipping tequila with extraordinary depth after being aged two years in a cognac barrel, you'll have to try Riazul Tequila. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Lavazza. Four generations of the Lavazza family have been working to perfect the art of blending coffee since 1895 with a devotion to making coffee moments special. Signature blend Lavazza Classico with its intensely rich flavor and sweet aromatic notes is a celebration of the Italian way of life in every cup and is available any way you brew your coffee. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Welcome to To Dine for the Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Jenny Wynn. I thought about if we can get one kid in there that could look on a TV and see that there's a future for them in sports and feel represented, it'd all be worth it. Jenny Nguyen picked up a basketball right around the same time she put down her milk bottle. From an early age, she was called a tomboy. She loved basketball so much that it shaped her entire identity all the way through high school. When she was 19 years old in her first year playing college ball at Clark College, she ruptured her ACL. Devastated by the career-ending injury, she stumbled upon a newfound passion, cooking. After graduating from college, Nguyen enrolled at the Western Culinary Institute in Portland, Oregon. There, she graduated from the expedited program while working full-time at fine dining restaurants. And today, she is the founder of the Sports Bra. I can't wait for you to hear the story of Jenny Nguyen with this conversation. Hi, Jenny. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Kate? Excellent. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on To Dime for the podcast. Oh, you betcha. Of course. This is exciting. Now you are in Portland, Oregon right now? That's correct. Okay. Fantastic. 
So I'm going to start this podcast the way I start all my podcasts, which is to ask you your absolute favorite restaurant. You live in Portland, but perhaps your favorite restaurant is in another city. It's a very difficult question for someone like yourself who is in the culinary Mm -hmm. space and is a chef, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to ask it because sometimes the answers from chefs are the very best. So where would you take me? Oh my gosh. Wow. I wish I had a lead up to this. That was longer than (laughs) immediate answers. Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm also kind of like one of those people where I find something and I go and just get it all the time. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Like right now at the very top of my mind is Duck House. It's a Chinese restaurant. They specialize in kind of the Szechuan style or that region. And yeah, Duck House in Portland, it's kind of by the PSU campus. So there's a Uh lot of students that go there, which is kind of funny, but the food is outstanding. Like we just had, you know, Din Tai Fung opened over here. Yes. And we go there for like special occasions, but like every time I'm just like, I like Duck House better, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So it's delicious food is what I'm hearing from you, but you also just love going there. I love going there. I mean, it's, it feels very comfortable. It's not pretentious, Mm -hmm. which, uh. You know, I think Portland is kind of on the cusp of like being like the, like a cool place. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't know. I was born and raised here, so it's always like my hometown to me. Where yes. it's just kind of like, meh, it's whatever. We have some really great food, but I really love places where I feel comfortable. Yes. And, you know, there's. I think that there's a lot of places that are really fancy and nice. And I'm just like, mm, the food's good, but I just, I don't feel that comfortable in those spaces. So, Isn't it funny how sometimes it's not about the food or, or even a, what kind of food. It's about how a restaurant makes you feel. And, totally. Yeah. And, and, and whether you want to come back based on how you feel, it really comes down to an emotion. I mean, it's really important for restaurateurs who are thinking of opening a restaurant, but it, it's really something to ponder because where we feel like we belong, where we're accepted, where we feel comfortable, ends Mm -hmm. up being where we go back. Yeah. I mean, it's a a whole experience. I mean, people often tell me that, you know, they kind of think about the food as a piece, Mm -hmm. but what they really remember is how the place made them feel. The customer service, you know, is a big one. So the food could be awesome, but if you're treated like crap, I like your server, you're never coming back there. Like, I'm sorry. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's the full experience. Yeah. I I love Duck House and that it's, it's comfortable. It's unpretentious. Din Tai Fung is very nice, but it's also like, I feel like I got to like press my pants to go there, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's my answer. Duck house. I love it. it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Your background, you were big into basketball as a kid and Mm -hmm. your basketball was going to be your course. And then you, an injury. In my mind, at least. In your mind. Hey, that's where it all starts. And then at one point you had an injury that kind of got you off course, but really set you on a new path. Can you tell me when that happened and have you always loved to cook or was it that moment that created that? I mean, I wouldn't say it was a moment, but definitely. So I was 19 years old. It was two weeks before my first freshman basketball game. And I was just at an open gym having fun. And I went up for a layup and I basically did like this jump stop where you pick up the ball, you stop your dribble and you land on two feet so that you can like cross over and do a layup. Anyway, I do go to do this jump stop and the defender leaned in right then and we hit knees and Mm. I felt a pop Mm. and I basically had ruptured my ACL and I was 19. So I felt like invincible, you know, so I didn't go to the doctor. I was like, oh, it's just a sprain or whatever. And I continued, I like was on crutches. I borrowed a friend's crutches for a couple of weeks and then continued to play basketball on it until it got 
worse and worse. And I ended up tearing every ligament in my knee. And so by the time, six months later, by the time I had to get surgery, they were like, "Mm, we're going to have to replace everything. Yeah. So it ended up being like a constructive surgery. It was devastating because my entire identity was wrapped up in like being a basketball player. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I would have like played in the WNBA, but in my mind, that was my trajectory, uh, like you said. And I had come out to my family and my friends when I was 17. So Mm -hmm. I was still kind of like struggling with all of that. And then boom, I get this injury and I just, I didn't go off the deep end, but I went through like a really bad depression Mm -hmm. and my parents and I, like, we didn't see eye to eye and like I'd grown, I'm an only child. I'd grown up really close with them and we just got, it just got to the point where there was a lot of friction. Mm -hmm. And so I moved away to college to like, get away. And I, I didn't even like scout the colleges. I just picked a college that was the furthest away from my parents that wow. was still in state okay. because, you know, the budget. Yes. So I went to uh, Bellingham, Western Washington University, which is right on the border of Canada. And I didn't know anything about that school and it ended up being awesome. You know, it was gorgeous, beautiful. And it was like a three to one ratio of women to men. Mm. And so it was like perfect for having just come out. <laughs> um, <laughs> And An ideal environment. It was ideal. It was outdoorsy, lots of ladies. So it was a great way for me to kind of like turn over a new leaf. So I get up there and I realize that I start to lose like a bunch of weight because the food in the cafeterias are not great. Mm-hmm. And I realized that my mom had made like every meal for me growing up mm-hmm. and we ate around the dinner table every night and it was just normal. So it didn't occur to me that there was other families out there not doing the same or. And, and what is she cooking? What kind of food? And Oh, Vietnamese what, food. All Vietnamese food, but like really delicious food. Vietnamese food. And you probably didn't even realize how great it was. 1000%. And I mean, it's also mom's food and it's yes. what I grew up with. So, yeah. so I get there, I start losing weight and I'm just like, gosh. So I call mom and I'm just like, I need some of the recipes. And I had literally zero interest in cooking growing up. I just played <laughs> basketball. I came home. I was like hungry all the time. I ate everything, like my poor folks. Yeah. And so I asked mom, I was like, give me some of those recipes. And my mom's like, really? And I was just like, yeah, like there's a, so my dorm room shared a wall with the kitchen for the mm-hmm. dorm. Okay. And so it was like, right, it was right there. And so I started to cook rice and a couple of the dishes that I really missed from home. And I was dating this woman at the time and she was just like, Jenny, you know, I feel like the only time you're ever really yourself is when you're on the basketball court or when you're in the kitchen. Mm. And it hadn't occurred to me that that mm. was true. Mm. But like, I realized that like hours would go by in the kitchen, like I'd get like, I'd get into something and I would lose track of everything. You know, at the time I had uh, enrolled as a uh, pre-med because, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to be. So my parents wanted me to be a doctor, of course. And I was just like, I'm okay <laughs> at school. Like, I guess I'll be a doctor. I didn't care, honestly. Mm. I enrolled pre-med. And so I was taking a bunch of really hard classes and I, I had rehabbed my knee, so I was playing intramural and like lead basketball, and that was super fun. Uh, but I started dating this woman, and she was just like, yeah, you're really happy in the kitchen. I was just like, huh. And then it got to the point where I was like making like seven-course meals for my friends, and then I did like a super big dinner party for the entire dorm. Like there was like 37 people who came, and it was like what I did for fun. And it was a sign. You didn't realize it at the time, but you were doing what you loved. It was You were in your element, right? You were in yeah. your element. You it was like were- a zone. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. a zone and I think I think food is love. So when you're able to cook for someone, you're you're showing you're caring. It's a sense of of taking care of someone, you're nurturing them, you're also showing you care, which is really powerful. Yeah, and it was 
you know, it was a way for me to express myself too, because I've done, I, I, I do a lot of things with my hands. So like sculpture, painting, photography, like all that kind of stuff. You so, were, you were artistic and creative when your parents had, 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 you were one side of the brain when your parents were pushing for the other side of the brain. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. I did art and like that kind of stuff all growing up. And, mm -hmm. you know, my parents were just like, oh, that's cute. Now don't forget your homework. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Right. Let's get into chemistry. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, but, so that was my sophomore year. By the end of my sophomore year, I called my parents and I told them I wanted to be a chef and they did not take it well. Um, mm. The news did not land well. Uh, I'm an only child and Vietnamese American first generation. So mm -hmm. my parents fled Vietnam during the war. Mm -hmm. And I think my mom said something to the effect of, you know, we didn't almost die and cross an entire ocean so that you could become, I think she used the word slave, but you know, like a servant in a kitchen. Right, right. Yeah, they were very unhappy with that decision. Mm -hmm. That must have been very difficult for you to, knowing that, you know, you knew it instinctively, this is what you were good at, what you wanted to do. But I too am an only child. So I do understand mm. the, 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 the pressure of wanting to please your parents who you love so much. How did you handle that? And what kind of got you through that moment? It was really hard. I think that, you know, I had to think about in Vietnamese culture, like a lot of Asian cultures, it's more about the community, more about the family, about the individual. And so growing up American, you know, it was just like, do I stay true to myself? Do I be who I want to be? Or do I sacrifice those things for my family? And mm -hmm. to what end, right? You know, I, I don't think that as at that age that I had put these items together, but like coming out to my parents when I was 17 was an, another way that I expressed who I really was. Mm -hmm. And they weren't supportive then either. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there are a lot of times where I tried to be somebody else and couldn't do it. Like it mm -hmm. was just, it wasn't in, it's not in my DNA that mm -hmm. like to fake it that long. And so I think that, you know, when I decided I wanted to be a chef, I had already thought about the reaction and sort of braced yourself for it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But it always, it still always sucks. You know, it always yeah. sucks. And I would say, you know, it took my parents, it took my mom particularly about a decade to accept me being gay. And so I wasn't sure how long it would take them to accept me being a chef or like my career choice. Which was harder, you think, you being gay or you being a chef? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think a chef because that's a choice. You know what I mean? Yes, uh, yes. For a long time, I think my parents thought that it was a choice. But ultimately, I feel like they just were afraid. You know, they sure. have this kid and they're afraid. And they want, you know, they came here for, the, for me to have an easier life than them. And I think that they saw these as decisions that were making my life harder. Yes. Um, and they just didn't want me to have a more difficult life. I think that that's kind of where it came from. I think when you can look at it that way, that you're basically putting yourself in your parents' shoes, which is very mature, right? It's that's what we have to do when when people sure. come, you know, when there is that friction. I'm fascinated because you go to culinary school, you work in fine dining establishments. Take me to the moment of starting the sports bra. Where did the inspiration strike from that or for that, I should say? Yeah. So I told my parents, my dad gives me some of the best advice that anyone could have given me at the time. He goes, okay, how about you get the worst job you can think of in that field? Do it for a year. If you still want to do that, then go for it. Wow. And so, yeah, I hung up the phone and I called up a friend of mine who is a uh, grill cook at the local Red Robin. <laughs> and they were just like, oh, we have this position called the Friar Boy. I mean, I don't think it's the position was called the Friar Boy. I think they just called it the Friar sure. Boy. Sure. 
Um, but they said that people don't last more than four months because they quit. And because the job's really hard. And I was like, I want it. Give me that job. So I go, I interview and I get the job and I am instantly in love. You know, the tickets, I wake up in the middle of the night hearing the ticket machine going and like I get the adrenaline rush, all of the things. So I'm hooked. So a year goes by, I end up moving my way up through the mm. Red Robin kitchen slightly. And I, my, you know, I tell my parents and they're just like, oh God. So I graduate college. I move back to Portland, go to culinary school. And while I'm going to school, which is a expedited program, it's five hours a day, uh, five days a week. I also work a full-time job in the kitchen. And so I'm doing both, which is, you know, you're in your twenties, who cares? I go from that and I start to develop some really bad like chef habits, like drugs and alcohol. And this woman that I'm dating at the time, she's just like, Jenny, it's either me or this job. Mm. And I was just like, oh God. So then I go into corporate life, uh, which mm. is like a six to three. Um, I go to Bon Appetit Food Management Company. Uh, I start out at Adidas headquarters. And then I work my way to Lewis and Clark College mm-hmm. as an executive sous chef. And then I go to Reed College as an executive chef. So I was an executive chef for about four years, working kitchens for about 15 plus total. And I started as, you know, a salad bar prep at the Red Robin. Mm. (laughs) Oh, and get this. So as a chef, I made quite a good deal of money and had all the benefits. And I worked for a gigantic corporation. And that's when my parents were like, oh, this job is perfect for you. Like, Mm. you're great. You know, so a lot of it is stability, money, financials. Right. So. So my parents did turn over a new leaf. They were just like, oh, you're doing great. Right. They're, you can understand the roots of it. And I think you do. They wanted right. you to have a great life. And to them, mm-hmm. that, it, that was safety. It was stability. It was financial prosperity. You know, right. and as soon as you achieved that, then you were okay in their books. Yeah. And like, yeah. what's funny is that I love a struggle. You know, nobody becomes a chef to get to, to do it the easy way. But yeah, but they didn't, they, they didn't want that for me. But so in 2015, my parents and I go to Vietnam on a trip. Mm-hmm. And it's the second time that they've gone back, but my first time ever going. And so I go, we go for like two weeks and this trip pretty much shifts my worldview mm-hmm. so much so that I just see things differently. You know, the way travel, only travel can do. I come back, I put in my notice at work and I don't have a plan. I don't know what my next step is, but I know it's not this. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. 
It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Riazul Tequila, referred to as one of the best sipping tequilas on the market. It comes from the highlands of Jalisco, 7,200 feet above sea level. Riazul's agave has a higher sugar content, lending itself to a sweeter taste profile. If you are looking for a true sipping tequila with extraordinary depth after being aged two years in a cognac barrel, you'll have to try Riazul Tequila. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. What was it about that trip that made you put in your notice? So I was making good money at this job, but I was working probably anywhere between 90 and 120 hours a week. Oh gosh. Yes. Which, you know, I had been doing for a long time and I loved it, but it also was like, I never saw my family. I never saw my friends. And also the job was starting to change. I started out as an executive chef when the company was still using executive chefs in that role the way they, they should be, I think. Right. And the company was getting larger and larger. And so my role became more like HR, liability management, paperwork shuffling. And there was like a bunch of things that made it so that I was in the kitchen less, mentoring less, hands-on a lot less, mm-hmm. and just like getting paper cuts instead. You know what I mean? And I was right. just like, this is not what I signed up for. Uh, so the two things that two, those two things kind of combined gave, gave me a little disillusionment about my career. But then going to Vietnam, I noticed community was the biggest mm-hmm. thing that stood out to me. And there were people who didn't have two pennies to rub together, but they had friends and family that they ate every meal with, that they laughed. The guys who peddled the Ciclo, the bicycles around town, if you got up early enough, you could see these guys get together and have, what is it, Cafe Soda early in the morning and mm-hmm. just, and smoke cigarettes and drink Cafe Soda like, like locomotives. And then they hop on their bikes and they work their day. But they made that time in the morning to be with their friends mm-hmm. and then do their thing. And then mm-hmm. at night, same thing happened. And just people were constantly in community. Mm-hmm. There weren't doors or windows on people's houses. You know, there was like a whole lot of things. And granted, this is from a tourist perspective, you know, like grass is greener. Situation. But you, you obviously felt like that was missing from your life, right? You were like, 1, I'm working 100 hours a week. How do I ever have time to do any of this? And here I am. Mm-hmm. The, you talk about going back to your parents. Your parents moved to the U.S. so you could have a better, easier life. And you are in Vietnam and you're seeing these people having, in a way, an easier life. You know, I mean, I wouldn't say easier, but in a way, something that was very fulfilling for them that I, that I didn't feel, yeah, that yeah. I felt like I wasn't getting here sure. at, at my job. Something enjoyable. So the, 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 the power of connecting with people and having that community, right? Like it can't be understated. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't think I'd ever really felt or understood that before, you mm-hmm. know? Okay. So you quit your job and yeah. you don't have a plan. <laughs> what comes next? So I quit my job, don't have a plan. And I also downsized my life around the same time because okay. I go to Vietnam, you know, so I own a house. It's a four bedroom house in Northeast. I live there by myself. Uh, I have two cars. It's like so unnecessary. I go to Vietnam. There's 25 people living in a house my size. Wow. 
And, and that's just like normal. So I come back, I downsize, I move in with my girlfriend, I rent out my house, I sell a car, and I start to realize that what I rent the house for and like downsizing like my lifestyle, I didn't need a job to get by. Mm. The renters paid pay mortgage and all my bills, basically. Mm. I basically found the key to like uh, early retirement. <laughs> and then you switch to real estate you, and then you become an Airbnb host. <laughs> Well, I did do Airbnb. I was, I, I did do Airbnb um, as a, like a side gig. I probably worked like maybe 12 hours a week doing that. And then if I ever wanted to travel or anything like that, I just took uh, some random gigs off of Craigslist that paid like 300 bucks or whatever. Wow. And so for five and a half years, I was semi-retired and I would not recommend going from semi-retired to opening your own business. Uh, like that is, <laughs> that is like the recipe for whiplash, like nobody's business. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It was not part of the plan. That was right. not part of the plan. And what's funny is that when I was a chef, I constantly had people asking me, Jenny, when are you going to open your own restaurant? You know, when are you mm. going to do this for yourself? And I was just like, there is absolutely no way. Like mm. I've seen restaurateurs, I've seen business owners. I know how hard they work. And I go, there's, there's nothing I love enough, enough to work that hard for. You know, like mm. I want to clock in, clock out. I want it to be somebody else's problem. I want to hang out and just, yeah. you know, not do anything. I want to lay down. Well, it sounds like your pendulum had swung the entire opposite way. Here you were working 120 hours, then you go into semi-retirement and you're really living a very, probably delightful life. Very casual. Yes. Yeah, very casual. <laughs> Enjoyable. Pajamas all day. Yeah. Yes. So what was the inspiration for the sports bra? Mm -hmm. How did that make you want it enough to jump back into the other lifestyle? Well, so the idea for the sports bra came back like in 2018 while I was semi-retired. I was out with some friends and we went to a sports bar to watch the championship game of NCAA women's basketball, which is the biggest game of the year. You know, mm -hmm. me and my friends, we all we do is talk about basketball, play basketball together. Um, everyone I know is either through basketball or one degree removed from basketball. Mm -hmm. So a big group of us, we go to this bar to watch this game and it's not on. So we have... Uh, the server changed a channel and which was fine, but they did it on like a small TV in the corner. It ended up being like one of the best games I'd ever seen. Mm. And after the game, we're all celebrating and hugging each other. And I'm telling my friends, I was like, that game was unbelievable. Like it's the best game I've ever seen. And one of my friends goes, it would have been better if the sound had been on. And when she said that, I realized that I hadn't noticed that baseball was on like a projector and the sound for this baseball game had been on. It was like a regular, who knows what baseball game. Right. And so right then I said, you know, the only way we're ever going to watch women's sports in its full glory is we had our own place. Mm. And I like blurted it out, but I didn't mean anything by it. And so that was 2018. And I think that same day I'm driving home and I was just like, if we had our own place, what would we call it? And immediately the sports bra pops up in my brain mm -hmm. and I like can't get it. Like as soon as I think it, I can't unthink it. And uh, I just think, you know, you're just changing a channel. That was in my mind. All we would do is change a channel. We wouldn't change anything else. And so you take a sport bar, you switch those two letters, sports yes. bra. So the sports bra, the idea became like this joke, a running joke between my friends and I for years. So just plug that running joke into wherever. Like whenever we got frustrated with anything, we'd be like, oh, at the sports bra, this game would be on. <laughs> or oh, at the sports bra, we'd have like gluten-free buns so that I could have a burger. Are you gluten-free? I try to be gluten-free, dairy-free, yeah. Yes. Um, which makes it hard to go out to eat at sports yes. bars, you know, where right. they're just of everything course. is... Chicken tenders yeah. and, yeah, bar food. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you have the idea. At what point do you say to yourself, when do you find a space? When do you, like, bring it to life? 
So none of that happened. All of it was <laughs> fantasy land. But what ended up happening was in 2020, the pandemic happened. Mm. Everything went up in smoke, right? The entire planet felt like it was on fire. And my life and uh, this woman that I was dating at the time, she's self-employed. And neither of our lives were impacted that much other mm. than, you know, obviously isolation. But we both watched as people died, things changed for everyone. And in the midst of that was a ton of turmoil. The murder of George Floyd happened. Mm -hmm. There was Sandra Bland. There was there was shootings. There was the Me Too reckoning was still happening. Mm -hmm. uh, the U.S. Women's National Team was fighting for equal pay. So there was all of these ways that the world was completely disrupted and also how people didn't want to go back to normal. There was this mindset of like, everything needs to change. We Everyone was reevaluating priority, where they saw themselves in the world, what they wanted for their life to be like. And I was one of those millions of people that were having that moment of like, okay, what's really important? How do I want to show up now? And I started to get really frustrated because I had been like sitting on my haunches for five years, like living the easy life. And I felt, you know, I felt guilty for one. And I felt also like, there might be something more I can do. Like, I felt like I had something to offer, but I wasn't sure what that was. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I've only ever been good at two things in my whole life, like basketball and cooking. You know, what can I do with those skills that can really make an impact or feel like I'm, I'm contributing something to this community? So at what point do you get the space and do you begin the sports bra? Well, what happened was my girlfriend, she goes, Jenny, you know how you always joke about the sports bra? And I go, yeah. And she goes, why don't you do that? Like in the middle of this pandemic situation. And I just like, I literally laughed in her face. I was just like, that was a joke. Like that doesn't have anything to do with reality. Like, I don't understand how that can make a difference. I don't understand this, that, and the other thing. But that planted the seed, you know, in my brain. And it got me thinking like, okay, maybe this is something we should do. And Portland is my hometown. And it was getting like crapped on every day in the media. And so I was just like, okay, maybe you could bring something positive back to Portland. And I started to think like really about the different layers of what the sports bra could mean to the community here. So we opened April 1st, 2022. I started to really consider it as an, an idea July of 2021. So what is the philosophy and what is the sports bra? So the mission of the sports bra is to support empower and promote girls and women in sports and in the community. Originally, I opened the space thinking that it was going to be a place for like hardcore women sports fans like myself to just yeah. come celebrate and be in community and watch women's sports together and kind of just develop that fan culture, uh, like spectatorship that men have had for 30 plus years with regular sports bars, which are really, you know, made for guys. And community, right? It gets and, back yeah. to what you're saying about community, right? Like you were, totally. you're hungry for community on your trip to Vietnam and you're creating in a way the ultimate for you who loves basketball, who is a chef yourself and who sees a need for creating a space that is safe and accepting for all people, but especially sports lovers that happen to be women exactly. and love women's sports. How has it been received? And have you had any controversy? Has it been welcomed? What's that experience been like? Oh, my goodness. I would say from the moment it went public, it has been overwhelmingly positive. Amazing. Overwhelmingly positive. Basically, all the hopes, dreams, and wishes I could ever want for the sports bra were far surpassed by the time we actually physically opened the doors on April 1st, 2022. That is amazing. People were just pouring out 
emails, letters, packages would come. Every day I would get hordes of packages full of memorabilia to hang up on the walls or, you know, thank you cards, letters, DMs. People come in here and cry. They hug me. They tell me like they've been waiting their whole lives for a place like this. It's been overwhelmingly positive. Of course, there's a handful of haters out there. Uh, we had some trouble with Google when we first opened because people were, you know, they kind of crowdsourced their information. So there's a group of people who just like keep saying that we were permanently closed. And so when people look us up, they'd be like, oh, it looks like they're permanently closed. Um, so we had, you know, a conversation with Google about that. What's it like for you to see this dream come to fruition? And what kind of food do you serve there? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, like I said, I think every hope and dream that I could have ever wanted for the place was far surpassed. I had grossly underestimated the response that the bra would get and also the reach. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I, I thought that I was opening it for hardcore women's sports fans. But it turns out, you know, the intersection of where women in sports intersect, it's like the big bang where thousands and thousands of things come from that. And so people really feel like it resonates with them on all different levels. We have people Mm -hmm. in here all the time that have zero interest on what's on TV. They just want to be in the space that makes them feel comfortable or seen. What is your prized um, item on the menu or what, what, if I came to the sports bra, because I'm, I really am not a big sports fan, but I would definitely come and I would definitely enjoy your food. So please tell me, what should I order? Yeah. So the menu is actually the very first thing that I did when I started the entire thing. I read the I read the questions for how to write a business plan. And I was like, I don't know any of these things. But one of the things was like, oh, d- develop a menu. I was like, bingo, I know how to do that. So I, did, I wrote the menu in like 20 minutes. It took me no time at all. I basically wrote everything that I love to eat. So mm. it's based off of my, what I, I mean, if it's going to be my restaurant, it's going to write the menu I yeah. want to eat. Right. But there's a couple of dishes right off the top that are inspired by my family. And the first one is mom's baby back ribs. Ooh. Which is a peat caw recipe, which is a typically a traditional like clay pot stewed pork shoulder mm-hmm. in coconut milk, fish sauce, brown sugar, bunch of herbs and spices and stuff. And then uh, usually you add hard boiled eggs to it. Okay. And then you you stew the eggs so long that the whites turn brown. Mm. I wanted it to be like a finger food item here, so I changed it to baby back ribs, and I omitted the eggs. The recipe itself is word for word by mom's, which is also the very first recipe I made when I was in college mm. because it's my favorite dish. So it's based on my favorite dish. Baby the ribs. ribs. Got to get the ribs. Okay. What's the second thing? My mouth's watering just thinking <laughs> about it. Another thing that comes from my family is my Aunt Tina. She's famous for her fried chicken wings, which is like a fish sauce style wings with crispy garlic. Yum. I tried using her recipe, but it didn't work for our application. So I developed a new recipe and then brought her in to give her okay on it because the menu bring in Tina. <laughs> I brought in Aunt Tina and she, she approved the recipe. Yep. But the burgers are by hands down our most popular thing. People always get a burger. I like the smash burger. That's the, my favorite way of eating a burger is smashed mm-hmm. pickles, extra mayo. And that's mm-hmm. it. Like wow. no frills. And then we have a pub burger. That's all the frills. Have your parents been to your restaurant? Oh my goodness. Mom is here every day. Is she really? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Every day. Yeah. She's here more often than I am. So it's funny. So when I told my parents, when I sat them down, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm opening the sports bra. They had the reaction that I knew that they were going to have, which was absolute. Like they, they hated it. They did not. They're horrified. Horrified. Yeah. They were just like, this is the worst idea ever. They were like, don't do this. This is a mistake. Um, You're going to lose your entire life. Because they are risk averse. They are risk averse. 
yeah, I'm also yeah. risk averse, but also, yeah. but I also feel like this was something that I needed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't, I didn't, I don't think I've told the story, but what was the tipping point for me deciding to do this? Because I kept thinking about how my life was going to change. You know, I was so comfortable and I knew that if I was going to do this, everything would change. Yes. And it was too scary. Like I just thought, okay, I'm at this fork in the road. Do I choose the scary thing or do I choose the comfortable thing? And I wanted to choose the comfortable thing. Mm -hmm. But what really pushed it over the top was I was sitting down with my girlfriend. We were talking about, because we met playing basketball 14 years ago. We were sitting down talking about how if our parents took us to a place like the sports bra when we were little, mm-hmm. like if we were seven years old or nine years old or even 13 years old, what kind of an impact it would have had on us as kids mm-hmm. to like be in a space that felt like we belonged and to like look on the TVs and see grown women playing a sport that we love mm-hmm. and then having a room full of people cheering for them. What would that feel like as a kid? And when I thought about little Jenny, I thought about if we can get one kid in there mm-hmm. that feels that way, mm-hmm. that, could, that could look on a TV and see that there's a future for them in sports and feel mm-hmm. represented, it'd, be, it'd all be worth it. And so yeah. I really had to remove myself from the equation and think about how can this benefit the next generation? And that was really what pushed me over the top. I was like, okay, I got to give this a shot and um, I'm going to give it everything that I have. And if it fails, it fails. And that's fine. Well, you've already, you've already won. You've already succeeded, you know, by, by putting it out there and getting the response, you know that you're onto something. And now it just comes down to consistency, discipline and excellence. And this I, I love I absolutely love hearing your story, Jenny, all of it, because you've used almost every part of your journey to bring you to this moment. You know, you can see the, the, the through line of so many things from your trip to Vietnam, to your parents, to your basketball love, you know, all of it is you've used it all. So thank you for spending some time with me. I know the listeners of To Dine For are gonna love your story and I just really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Kate. What a great time to, you know, explore, especially like a year in. Now, yes. now it's like a lot less scary. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, continued success to you. And the next time I'm in Portland, I'm definitely going to swing by. Sounds great. Can't wait to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at To Dine For With Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Lavazza, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 